0: You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Psalm 79. O oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance, they have defiled your holy temple, they have laid Jerusalem in ruins, they have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food the flesh of your faithful, to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you according to your great power. Preserve them; those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O oh Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, we're so thankful um, to have Central Middle School as a place to worship you. God, we don't take for granted that in many countries and areas of the world, we cannot um, Freely proclaim your name. And so, God, we ask that you would protect this building. We ask that you would protect all the people that um, give us the ability to meet here each week. God, even just as the staff and as the teachers and as um, the students are preparing their hearts uh, to start school again, uh, it feels like we were just sending them off into summer. And I'm sure tomorrow it's going to feel like winter break is already here. And so, God, would you just protect them? Would you give them strength, Lord? The, just the pressures of um, junior high, Lord, of being in um, just the education system. It's so great. Um, but, Lord, we know that this is your work, Lord. We know that there is no mistake where you have placed us or placed us. And so, God, um, protect them into the year. We can't wait just to hear things that, yeah, you're doing and how you're moving. God, I pray even just as we have the ability to come across um, folks who are in this uh church and school each week, God, just that so we would have the chance to introduce ourselves and invite them in. Um, and Lord, just praying for the text this morning, God, uh, we are just a people in this room. We are all over the map where we're at. Some of us uh, are stepping into church for the first time, God. Some of us have been coming consistently and are in a really sweet season, but Lord, the um, scriptures do something really beautiful where no matter where we're at, um, they meet us there. And so God, just feel desperate for us today. Um, Lord, when we just get to hear, uh, Psalm 79 proclaimed over us, would we not, um, be quick to just think that that was for those people in a, in a different time in an earlier time, but God, would you just really, really intimately, um, meet us where we're at and maybe for the first time, or God, maybe even just first time in a lot of years, uh, Of us can just be honest about where our hearts are. Man, God, just where you've let us down, Lord, in the ways that we feel so desperate. It's just such a psalm of desperation and plea. Um, And we're so thankful how disheartened we would be um, if we didn't have different scriptures that just ask the same questions we do, like how long, oh Lord. And so, God, as you charge us, um, not just in our own faiths, but as uh, we just heard with other people that we interact with every day, God. Would you give us courage? Would you help us not be lazy? Lord, you tell us that there is a judgment coming. But what is so amazing about this one verse and this one passage is that it is a singular story of the other uh, books in the Bible. And so what we know to be true is that you're faithful to the end. And so God help us, we need you. We know that our minds are in a million different places today but we're just asking that uh, for the next 90 minutes or so that we can just really dive in and then that we wouldn't just leave what we hear today um, on stage and in this auditorium, but we would find a way to um, take it out into our everyday. So God, I ask that you just bless uh, my brothers and sisters in this room. I ask that you bless Kevin as he just shares the word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Kevin. If uh, you haven't Met me before. I am Kevin. I've been coming here for about three and a half years. Uh, I just graduated from seminary and have been enjoying a sweet summer um, away from school. I drum sometimes. I help out with the fourth and fifth graders. Uh, I lead the, or help co lead the Gray Weiniger City Group, or the Gray Hartness City Group now. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, good morning. So, uh, I do a couple other things here. I love this church. So it is a joy and a privilege to be able to uh, bring the Word to you this morning. Uh, we have been in the Psalms all summer long, and we just had a kind of transition in uh, in the number of Psalms that we've been looking at. So for a while we've been in what, what's kind of called the second book of the Psalms, and most of those are written by David and and recently we, we entered into the third book of the Psalms. And these are written by a guy named Asaph. We'll get into more about who he is a little later on. But there's a little bit of a different flavor uh, in these Psalms. Uh, but Psalms are Psalms. And they're, they're all of our human emotions and how to wrestle with being God's people um, And in fact, Jesus would have known and loved these psalms and prayed with them and sung them with his people. Now last week, Uh, We are in Psalm 78, and Casey told us about God's faithfulness. He was very clear about, hey, these are the acts God has done uh, from the beginning of time, from the beginning of the creation of the people of Israel. We need to remember these, we need to recount these, and we need to tell future generations about what God has done, and we need to hold fast. But like Kayla just read... This psalm, Psalm 79, sounds very different in tone, right? It, what happened? We went from God is great and we are enjoying life and we need to tell people how good God is and now what happened? Because we have a lot of questions. In fact, I hope as you were listening to the words Kayla was reading that some some questions popped up in your mind. We're going to be trying to find answers to these questions with Asaph, who wrote this psalm. So some of these questions, who is God? Is he faithful to his people? And where is he when circumstances are overwhelming? And then how should we respond when tragedy strikes? And so as we go through this text, we're going to see that Asaph has the answers, but we're going to wait to see how he concludes and finds these answers until the end. So stick with me. We're going to see that he has three sections in his text. Verses 1 through 4, he's going to describe the circumstances he sees around him. Verses 5 through 12, we're going to explore covenant. And then in verse 13... We're going to land with confidence. So pray with me, and then we'll get started. Father, I'm reminded um, of how much I need you, and how much uh, this people needs you. How much your people, through the ages, have need you needed you. Uh, it is an amazing thing that you have spoken to us and called us to continue. Uh, your revelation to people. So, Father, would you speak through me um, what we need to hear? Would you help us believe and see Jesus? We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, so the first four verses, we're going to see the circumstances around Asaph that have caused him to turn to God in this. And we're going to see devastating death And destruction that have infiltrated God's inheritance. So just listen to these words that I say for a second, uh, and then we'll look at them more deeply. So just listen. Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth they've poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem and there was no one to bury them we've become a taunt to our neighbors mocked and derided by those around us so first off can you feel the weight of this scene i want you to imagine you are asaph you're looking around Jerusalem and you see the 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 temple desolated, ruins. You see literal blood on street corners and dead bodies all around. There's the stench of death around you. And it's not a pretty picture. So how do we respond to this? And so we're going to look at Asaph and his thoughts on how he was able to bring what he sees to God, so look back at verse one with me. He says, "O oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance; they have defiled your holy temple; they have laid Jerusalem in ruins." So right away, we're not totally sure when this psalm was written. A lot of commentaries said that the temple was was ransacked and attacked several times, and, and that's true. Asaph lived in the time of David. He was a, a priest at that time. But there's a, there's a weightiness and a finality to the depth of destruction to the temple that exceeds what he experienced in the time of David. So what's possibly going on here? is that God told Asaph, hey, there's coming a time when Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And he's seeing this prophetically and looking forward. Now, we're not, we're not sure, but what is certain is that the scene being described is completely devastating. And so he, he mentions that the nations have come into God's inheritance. So we, we get this this contrast between the nations and their act of defilement and the inheritance of God, which is his temple, it's Jerusalem, it's the people of God, the people of Israel. And so the nations would be the people who are outside of God's covenant and they're representative of the ultimate evil that is fighting to destroy God's people, that's trying to take over God's kingdom. And over the course of Israel's history, these nations would come in as God's instrument to say, hey, you've been sinning, you need to repent. And they would do horrible things like killing people and entering into the temple. But then we get this other set of people and we have the inheritance of God, we have his holy temple. We have Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city that God has placed his name upon. It is holy. And in his temple is the, the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant rests. And that's where God's physical presence is. The, the Shekinah glory. The, the cloud of God's presence. And that's where the priests would go into once a year, to offer offerings for atonement. So you have this distinction of, hey, here here are good things, good holy things, that are being destroyed by people. So what do we do with this? And and maybe it would help to think about a modern example. Uh, I'm a Broncos fan, and so I grew up in Denver, there were some really good years a while back, but recently the Chiefs have been um, not not it's not been enjoyable as a Broncos fan, and so I think back clearly several years ago. Patrick Mahomes is one of his first years. He comes into Denver. Denver's playing well. I think they're gonna win. It's awesome. But then there's this fourth down play and Mahomes throws it with his left hand and they get a first down and the Chiefs go on to win. And so the the hurt and the shock of the Chiefs coming into the Broncos' home stadium and having victory ripped out of their hands was intense. But it doesn't quite get to what Is happening here in Jerusalem. So maybe let's think about, hey, I've lived in Lawrence now for close to 10 years. I love this city. I love this part of the country. I love the people here. So what would happen if an invasion came here to Lawrence and devastated? And now we're getting closer and closer to what Asaph is feeling. So if Lawrence got destroyed, How would that feel? But it's even more because God dwelt there with the people. That was the place the Israelites got to enjoy God's presence. So we we continue with what Asaph has said, and he says, they have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. And so we, we see that These nations came in, they didn't just like stop some fun church events at the temple. It's more than that. They killed people. There was violence and war and death. And not just local death, but the very created order is now reversed. He says the birds of the heaven are eating the flesh of the people. So So God gave animals, birds, to humanity for food. But now that's reversed. And humans are being eaten as food. Asaph gets more graphic. They've poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem. And there was no one to bury them. And so he he compares it to water to, to highlight that there is an abundance of blood all around the city. This is a graphic, painful picture. But it's also a religious language. And so just like the Israelites would offer animal sacrifices to their god, the god of Israel, Yahweh, the other nations would do similar things to their false gods. And so in military conquest, they would offer up the blood of their victims to their gods, so not only do we have secular war going on but it's it's taunting God and it's it's these people are being sacrificed to the false gods and not burying them which is perhaps the greatest disrespect in the ancient near east culture to be bar- to die without proper burial for a, for a biblical example, if you're familiar with the story of Jezebel, she, uh, she was cursed and condemned by God and said, you will not be buried as the ultimate example of evil in that time. But, but Asaph's not done. He says, we have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. The nations have replaced Israel's identity with their weakness and defeat. They're saying, hey, you're nothing more than your failures. You're nothing more than your death and weakness, and we want the world to know how pitiful you are. And so Asaph sees all of this. He looks around, he sees total, complete, utter devastation all around him. Does God not see? Does he not care? Is he unable to stop? So he's looking up at God and saying, do something, Lord. Do something. Do you not see what's going on? And so we do live in Lawrence. We haven't experienced war penetrating into the very land we live in. So we can't quite understand the depth of his pain. But I'm sure we all have had personal tragedy. Maybe it's a miscarriage. Maybe it's a broken relationship in our families that's left us broken and unsure what to do. And so we ask with Asaph, how do we respond to this? Where are you in this, God? Lord, do something. And that's what Asaph is saying. So, let me tell you a story uh, from high school days. I played football. Uh, I was even skinnier then than I am now, if you can picture that. I was about 100 pounds soaking wet, a couple inches shorter. So, at 14 years old, I have been working out with the football team, trying to to get big. My goal was 6'4", 250. That never happened, but uh, at this time, it was the end of the summer, and we were doing our one rep maxes. I was benching. I was the last one of the football team to, to bench, and so everyone else had kind of circled up, talking with the coaches, and I was, I was on the bench, struggling, struggling with 75 pounds on the bar. <laughs> yeah, so my coach looks over at me and says, there's Guns Gray. Now, his purpose in that was to replace my identity with my weakness. I was physically small, physically weak, and he said, this guy's not going to help our football team. This guy's nothing but a chump. And by giving me that name, he wanted everyone to remember that. Now, I didn't get the memo, I thought it was a cool nickname, but uh, but Asaph is feeling the weight of the nation saying, we're nothing. We are dead. And so he's calling on God to do something. And so we look to his next section, verses 5 through 12, and we see not just him turning to God and saying, look what's happening, but he's, he's going to give some very specific requests so we're going to look at those. And it's going to feel a little bit like a dance. Uh, he's going to say one thing and then take a step. And, but he's, he's doing something very specific. His prayer and the circumstances are specific to God's covenant. Now remember that word. We're going to come back to that. Asaph questions and requests certain things according to the covenant of God. He says, how long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Now, I'm sure we all have had experiences where we cry out, how long? It's a cry of agony. And in this specific instance, Asaph is borrowing language from other psalms. I think of Psalm 13, or perhaps 44 or 74, where where God had already given the people of Israel language to use with him to understand what's happening and to wrestle with him. So he's saying, how long, O oh God? And he's in agony, and he's pleading. And he goes on and he says, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire And so, with this new bit of information, we understand, or Asaph understands, that it's not just happenstance in the world. It's not God looking away and no longer caring about Israel. It's a specific response to what Israel is doing. In fact, it's judgment. Asaph uses the word jealousy, which is different from envy. It's it's saying, hey, Israel belongs to me, but they're not acting like they're mine. And so I need to do something about it to remind them of who and whose they are. God is sovereign over this, and he has purpose, and he's not absent or powerless, but he's actively overseeing it according to his covenant. And so let's let's just take a moment to think about that, can we imagine God angry at sin? Can we imagine God getting angry at general sin or at sin in us? Now in Israel, the, the main sin or the, the most frequent sin was idolatry. They were going after false gods and all these idols who they thought would rescue them and help them and satisfy them in ways that Yahweh, their God, couldn't. But it wasn't just that. It was pride. It was covetousness. It was self-reliance and malice. It was poor treatment of the poor. And so even if today we're not going after, say, Baal or Molech like they were, We're not innocent either in these offenses. Now, we also need to look at the other side and say, hey, we we do experience pain and suffering in our lives, and not all of it is a direct result of a specific sin we've committed. So there are probably some of you out there who are going through a really rough season And I'm sorry that that's happening. And look, there are a lot of things going on. We live in a broken world where people sin against us and where the just general reality of a fallen world affects us, affects all of God's people. So if that's where you are today, man, my heart goes out for you. That's not what's happening with Israel, though. They are sinning against God's covenant and receiving God's specific retribution according to the covenant. Now, Asaph recognizes this. And he also recognizes that the nations deserve judgment as well. And so that's where he goes next. He's saying, will you be angry like fire? Hey, look at the nations. He says, pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. Now, I would expect him to say, Lord, forgive us. And he'll he'll do that. But first, I think it's interesting that he asks for judgment on the nations before repenting. So the question is, is Asaph wrong for doing that? And the answer is no. He is walking in the covenant that God had made with them. He is participating in the relationship God had given them and learning how to pray like God wants them to. So he's remembering the covenant and he's remembering the biblical framework that God ultimately and finally does punish and judge the wicked. Now, I think this is a helpful time for us to define what a covenant is. I've used that word a lot. It's a big theme in Scripture. We have examples like the covenant God made with Abraham in Genesis 12 where he says, I will give you offspring. I will give you land. I will give you a name. And we have an example where he tells David in 2 Samuel 7, he says, You will never lack an, uh, uh, an offspring on your throne for all generations. We don't use covenant language nearly as much in, in our land, in our time, as they did then. But it's, it's an agreement between two people to be in relationship. And so, a marriage is a covenant, where both parties say, I am committing myself to you fully in this relationship, and there are promises and stipulations involved. So that's where Asaph is, and that's where Israel is. God had called Israel out of Egypt by grace and then brought them to Sinai and said, here's what it looks like to live in relationship with me. Now, the nations weren't under this covenant. God specifically chose Israel to be in this covenant. And so Asaph is recognizing this and saying, Look, we, we deserve judgment, but so do they. You've promised to be faithful to us and gracious to us, but you haven't, you haven't done that same thing to them. What's, what's happening? Are you, are you who you say you are? So Asaph is appealing to God's character and his decrees by asking for judgment against the wicked nations. Is he wrong? no. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Asaph understands that for Israel and for the nations. And he he specifies exactly why he says they deserve this judgment. He says, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. So he's saying, God, look what they're doing. I know you're sovereign over it, but, but look what they're doing. You need to act according to your covenant. And in Asaph, for Asaph, he's, he's thinking about, hey, what, what is the greatest need we have as humans? And that's what he gets to in the next verse. He says, "'Do not remember against us our former iniquities. "'Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, "'for we are brought low. "'Help us, O God of our salvation.'" For the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for us, atone for our sins for your name's sake. So he had been praying, hey, be faithful to the covenant, and then he realizes, I, we haven't been faithful to the covenant. And so he confesses his sin. He repents. He says, God, our greatest need is that you forgive our sins. Our greatest need is for you to have mercy on us and be gracious to us and forget that we have broken the covenant. So he remembers the fullness of the covenant. And this is is a sample of the covenant God cut with Israel. This is from Leviticus 26. God says through Moses, but if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself will discipline discipline you sevenfold. For your sins, You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. My soul will abhor you, and I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing aromas, and I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheathe the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. So as Asaph is praying for forgiveness and the judgment of the nations, I'm sure these words came to his mind, thinking about what God told them would happen unless they obeyed. And that's exactly what he sees. The nation had turned from God And this was their judgment. And so Asaph is recognizing, and I I want us this morning to recognize, that God was faithful to his covenant to Israel, even in Psalm 79. Because the judgment was his faithfulness. These circumstances were not flying in the face to God's faithfulness, but the evidence of it. And here's the hopeful part in that statement. That God's assurance or God's faithfulness in this moment to his past covenant means that he is going to continue being faithful forever to his people. God does not break his covenant. So Asaph realized that he needed to repent and the nation needed to repent. So this this touched me recently recently. I have started dating someone, uh, if you didn't know that, Uh, and so learning about, (laughs) there it is, Uh, learning about what it's like to be in a relationship uh, is, it's intense, there's a lot of learning in it, and so I moved recently, the last few weeks, and Katie, uh, my girlfriend, helped me here, and I remember... As we were moving some of my furniture and try in the heat and we were tired and thirsty and there was frustration because if you've ever moved, you get it. And so I just remember being really frustrated at Katie several times. And then I took a step back and I said, I'm the problem. I'm the one who's spoken harshly to Katie. I'm the one who has not been treating her the way I should. I'm the one who needs to confess my sin to her and to God. I'm the one who needs to repent. So this is what Asaph is doing. He's saying, I'm the problem. I'm the one who needs to repent. And so he does. Forgive us, Lord, is what he says. So then he continues and says, why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Now, his repentance didn't negate the fact that the nations were still doing wicked things against Israel that needed to be dealt with. So he turns back and saying, God, do something. The fancy theological term is imprecation. He's saying there's a problem here. He is imprecating and saying... God, set justice in your land. And we know that Asaph's pleas are not wrong. He is still doing what's right. Because, and we know this because he just repented. And now he's doing the same thing. And so these nations are taunting against God. He says, where is their God? And we talked about dead bodies, unburied, great disrespect, on the same level is saying, where is their God? This is the highest insult you can do to someone who's alive in that time. It's like if you're in a fight with your best friend and you say, well, your mom did this to me, so, nah. Or when you start speaking ill of someone's mother, that's what it's like. So, so Asaph is saying, don't let these nations insult you, God. Your reputation is on the line in this. These nations have insulted you, O oh God, and they deserve judgment for that. Because he's tying the mistreatment of God's people with the mistreatment of God. And so he continues to plea for mercy, and he says... Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. So he's dealt with the nations. He's saying they need to get what's theirs. But have mercy on us, Lord. We are in your covenant. So do what you have promised to do for us. Think about the prisoners. Think about the hungry, the destitute, the lowliest of our society. Let their cries come before you, God, and come to us. And so we need to hear today that all of this stuff I've just been talking about, all of this covenantal reality that God had made to Israel... It's not just true about Israel two, three, four thousand years ago. This was written for our instruction, Paul says. And here's some amazing news God was faithful to his covenant. Earlier I, I read some of Leviticus, so I'm going to keep reading that. After God had given these covenant curses, he said, But if they confess their iniquity, the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land." Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. So Asaph is saying Hey, remember your covenant. We confessed our sin. Deal with us according to your promises. And that's the offer for us this morning, too. Like I said, this is not a distant promise. God does not change. He is a covenantal God through and through. And in the person of Jesus, God cut a covenant for all generations, This is what Jeremiah prophesied about this new covenant. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after Those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So this is the new covenant that God offered. That God offers all in the person of Jesus. Because when when Jesus came to earth fully God, fully human, he fulfilled the old covenant. He took on the fullness of the covenant curses that were destined for Israel and for the nations when he hung on that cross. Before that, he walked not contrary to God, but in adherence to what God commanded. He never strayed from the commandments God gave the Israelites. He was perfectly obedient. He took on the penalty for our sin. And before that, he said, I am cutting a new covenant with you in my blood. And all who look to Jesus including repentant people like Asaph thousands of years ago and repentant people here today are welcomed into Jesus' family. And so this covenantal relationship that Jesus cut is just as true and just as eternal, and God is just as faithful to it as he was those covenants. In fact, this new covenant will bring about the end of wickedness and the life everlasting. He was faithful to that one, God was. and He'll be faithful to that one. So my plea this morning, if you are not in that covenant, friends, I invite you to look to Jesus and enter into covenant relationship with the God of the universe. And if you are in that covenant, And keep participating in that that covenant. Because if we are are covenant members, we have a specific way to live. God gives us ways to live, to live out participation in the life of this covenant. We've seen some of it from Asaph already praying to God, saying, God, this this is what I'm experiencing, This this is what I request. Pleading with God, saying, God, this is who you are. This is what you've promised. This is what you've said will happen. Bring it to fruition. Participation in the covenant looks like understanding reality according to the way God wants us to. So that means we need to hear God's words. And we're doing that this morning as I'm speaking to you. But it's more than that. We need constantly to be reminded of who God is, what He's done. What he's doing in the Bible. Sometimes it looks like asking God for justice, for the vindication of his name, for the vindication of his people. It always looks like repenting. Asaph modeled that. And so God says, keep doing that. But it also means enjoying God, God is the delight of our souls. And when we are in covenant relationship with him, we get the fullness of God's attributes for our good. And that is a delight to the soul. So we just, we just saw Asaph wrestling with God's covenant. And he learned that God is faithful to all his covenants. So now in Asaph kind of stands back, and in verse 13, he says, he, he proclaims his confidence in who God is and what he's doing. And this is what he says, verse 13, but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. So friends, that covenant that God cut for us in Jesus gives us so many reasons to be thankful. He saved our soul. He gave us an eternal home. He gave us an eternal family. He forgave our sins. He provides for us. He cares for us. He watches over us. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And that naturally boils out of us into thanksgiving. We have so many reasons to be thankful. And so we can join this people of God from thousands of years ago by repeating this mantra. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. We will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. So that's where, that's where Asaph lands, and that's our confidence day in and day out. God is faithful to his covenant, which means he's faithful to us, his covenant people. And despite the devastation that we saw from Asaph's prayer at the beginning, as he was wrestling with God according to the way God invites us to wrestle with him, he learned one thing. And so this is the answer to those questions I posed at the beginning. God is a God of covenant whose every act, including judgment and salvation, is faithful to the covenants he makes. I'll say that again. God is a God of covenant whose every act, including judgment and salvation, is faithful to the covenants covenants he makes. So this is who God is. He is faithful, and he's gracious and merciful, inviting an invitation to relationship with him to all who will come and believe. He will fulfill his side of the covenant. He will bring an end to wickedness. He will bring a beginning to endless glory and bliss. And as we wait for that glorious reality, we can plead and sing and pray with Asaph, with our prayers, with our exhortations to our brothers and sisters, with our pleas, with our encouragements, with the songs that we sing, with the, the times we repent. And every week, we gather as a body. We sing the songs corporately. We come under the word. And we share a meal. And we share a meal that reminds us of who Jesus is We share a meal that reminds us of what Jesus did for us. And we share a meal that points forward to the final meal that we will enjoy forever with one another in heaven. And so at this time, as we participate in this aspect of God's covenant, I will invite you up to partake in that meal. So in a second... The communion team is going to come up. They'll break a piece of bread to you. We have wine in the stone glass and grape juice in the glass glass, if my memory serves me correctly. So they will hand you a piece of bread. You'll dip it in one of those. You'll eat it. And you will be sharing a meal together. There are some other options. Um, If you are not sure about anything I just said, if you don't believe that Jesus is who who he says he is, then we we ask you to sit here and, and contemplate the words that I just said, wrestle with what is true. Or if you need some prayer, we have some black curtains in the back and a prayer team who would love to come before God according to the covenant he's given us and plead with him on your behalf. Uh, If you are gluten-free, we have some gluten-free options in the back as well. Um, Pray with me. Father, we are humbled this morning to recognize your faithfulness. We are grateful as your people with whom you have so graciously cut a covenant to reconcile us to you, and to keep us forever, to watch over us day by day. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for your Son, who is very body and blood cut a covenant with us. We're thankful that you're faithful to it. So Father, as we walk out of this building in a few minutes, Remind us that we are the sheep of your people. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. You are faithful to your covenant and thus faithful to your covenant people. We love you and praise you. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready.
0: Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.